Welcome to Packet Pushes Heavy Networking. The operation of telco scale networks is a significant business challenge, and we often discuss the problems of partnering with telcos from a customer's perspective. And it's been about a year since Aurelian separated from its carrier business from Telia. And in today's sponsored show, we're talking to Greg Pinto, head of IP networks at Aurelian, and how Aurelian is continuing to build and maintain the IP networks that they've got, and why you should be considering them for your backhaul needs and perhaps even some of their services. So Let's just start off with a recap, Greg. Um, let's give a quick introduction for Aurelian for the people who aren't familiar with Aurelian and where it came from. Yeah, Aurelian was, for uh, most of its history, was a part of the Telia Group, which is a large carrier based in Europe. And uh, the Telia carrier was the uh, international arm that focused on the backbone, the IP backbone, the wave backbone for Telia. Uh, as you mentioned last year, we separated from Telia Carrier, Telia Group, and Telia Carrier became Aurelian, an independent company owned by a Swedish telecoms investment group called Polheim Infra. Uh, mm-hmm. They're an investment company that we're backed by some of Sweden's largest pension funds. So we have a very good investment and a very good leadership to take us forward. I think that's important because a lot of telcos are owned by companies who expect them to get growth, like Facebook and Google, massive, you know, lots of dollars and, and everything. And um, you're uh, on a different model where they're more looking at it as a, we invest this much and we want a consistent return over a period of time. So you're really just focused on a core business activity. You're not trying to establish data centers or social media companies or, you know, be a movie company as well. Correct. Yeah, we're we're focused on what we do well and bring mm-hmm. in that network to our customers. Right. So that's really that bandwidth story. That's I think if you simplify it down, Aurelian is about bandwidth. Correct. Yeah, we have yeah. you know the largest IP backbone um, according to the Kentech rankings. You know, Kentech Market Intelligence rates uh, the global Aurelian network AS twelve ninety nine as the number one ranked IP backbone in the world. What what is number one IP ranked backbone? Is that like by volume carried? So Kentech has a system that they use to rank IP backbones, you know, from the large uh, operators. So it's a combination of traffic carried. It's a combination of customers directly attached. You know, how many ASNs we can reach directly from our network, how many we we can advertise out to the global IP BGP backbone. So right now we carry in about approximately 20, 65% of the global internet routes touch our backbone. Okay. Right. So it's, it's not just a measure of, uh, of like capacity or how much, how many bits you're putting through the network, but also connectivity. So if we were to lay out the Aurelian backbone, AS1299, we'd see that, that spider, that tree, if you will, of uh, interconnectivity, you'd be the most interconnected from what you're describing. Correct. Yeah, that would be mm-hmm. a, a fair way to put it. Because performance isn't just about, you know, I've got a five, an 800 gig pipe between New York and, you know, London or wherever it is. It's also about how do I get onto it? If I've got to go from, you know, Germany to London to go to New York, that's not effective. I want to get onto a high-speed backbone in those regions. So you're focused on uh, large-scale interconnectedness at POPs around the world. So data centers, hosting facilities, you're trying to get POPs there so that you can connect as close to the source as possible. Yeah, we're in 125 different countries and 350 points of presence where our network can be attached and then we can reach out from there to Mm. uh, detach to our customers and have them access our network. 
but you're also doing a range of bandwidth services as well. So you're still offering MPLS. It's not just bulk internet, although that broadly is the way the market's heading over time. You are still doing MPLS and wavelengths and so forth. Correct. We have wavelengths, Ethernet, uh, MPLS, traditional DIA access, not just necessarily wholesale, everything from one gig to one terabit. Can I have a terabit, please? I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it'd make any difference, but I'd, you know, it'd be like a bragging rights to have that sort of stuff. So really, your network does actually carry, although it's fairly focused on a narrow thing, and from a customer perspective, I like that, right? Because you're not trying to sell me uh, you know, data center hosting services or professional services to manage my Windows desktops like some telcos are. You know, once they're through their door, they want to do that. You're really just focused on this bandwidth and customers provide their own routers or you work with partners to provide the, the edge connects and so forth. Correct. And we can we can certainly, you know, help our customers with their networking needs um, in some of those areas. But our focus, our core is providing the bandwidth, providing the connectivity and getting our customers access to the mm-hmm. internet, getting them access to cloud services, getting them access to all the data center services, IoT platforms, et cetera, that they would want to get to. And we provide that network, that connectivity, and get them out there as efficiently as possible. Internet exchanges, direct connections to the cloud, like AWS, Google, Azure, Oracle, IBM, yeah, as well as dark, you know, DWDM wavelengths, if you want to DCI two data centers together or do something with the bandwidth yourself. Yep. Uh, yeah. And that's, and that's where that connectivity, those, you know, 350 pops, 65% of the global internet routes that, that connectivity comes in is, you know, we can, we can get you where you need to go. Now, one question I wanted to ask you as I was looking at you, some of you, you know, as preparing for the show, I noticed that you make a big deal about RPKI. Is that actually unusual in the modern era that you're using RPKI or is that something that just everybody does? I think it's unusual at large operator scales, right? And maybe it's becoming more normal now, right? In 2022, it's 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 definitely something a lot more of the large operators are aware of. They're working on implementations of, but it's really a something that we were one of the largest, if not the largest, operator uh, to roll out RPKI when we did that mm-hmm. three four years ago. Yeah. So it's something where it's it's definitely we're, it's something we're proud of that we're a good internet citizen. So we're not just selling internet services, but we want to be part of the internet community. And one of the things we do to be that good internet citizen is our PKI and make sure that what you're seeing come from us is is accurate and mm-hmm. what should be advertised is coming from us. You can validate that it's definitely part of the Aurelian network. Um, one of the things that we're, you're the head of IP of the IP network, right? And we've got a lot of problems going on in the current climate around supply chain. And you've got to be rolling out more bandwidth on a fairly consistent, well, and a persistent basis. How are you meeting the challenges with supply chain disruptions? That Yeah, supply chain is something that's definitely taken a lot of our organization's time. Um, it, it's everything from vendor management to managing the capacity we have, making sure that we're putting the right priority on the projects we have, but we're also working with our internal organization. So for example, we've, we have an effort, you know, I mentioned the 350 pops, we're adding pops every year. Mm-hmm. We're, we're trying to add as many pops. We've got internal 
targets and reviews about where we want to expand to. Well, we need the equipment in order to do that. And we're we're working with those internal teams to figure out, okay, this is where we want to go. This is when we want to do it. So we're starting to to work on forecasting that equipment. It, it isn't something that traditionally uh, at large operator scale, forecasting equipment wasn't necessarily something that was <laughs> was that you used easy to be able to, to do, just ring up right? and say, "Can I have it?" and it would be yeah. there, right? And yeah, and, it was. We had those relationships with the vendors where mm-hmm. um, we, good relationships. We still do have good relationships mm-hmm. with our vendors, but it was something where you know we knew the volumes we were going to be ordering at, and the manufacturing challenges and the supply chain challenges were not an issue. Mm-hmm. So we've moved from that just in time uh, type of deployments to a more projected deployments where we're not worried about what are we doing next month or next quarter. We're we're looking at what we're doing over the next 12 to 18 months. And it's funny, isn't it? Because that was what we used to do in the old days. Used to project (laughs) your equipment purchases out for five years. You know, we know that, but, but I mean, you are also, your backbone is somewhat unique in that you don't just increment your backbone as the orders come in. You're actually building out backbones constantly ahead of demand. Yeah, that, that's correct. It, it's at the scale we're operating, we're not necessarily looking at saying, oh, these deals are driving this, this build. And if we don't get this, we don't get this. And, you know, this impacts our forecast. It's we're able to start looking at the growth of the network. And when you're talking uh, our most recent month, we had almost 80 terabits of, of customer access demand on our network. and that's been continuing to grow. It wasn't just a, you know, a second quarter of 2020 event. It's it's been continuing to grow. So we're able to project out what we're going to need. And and the planning organization within Aurelian is able to look at and say, okay, this is what we need. We know the lead times from our vendors because they're working with them very closely on what SKUs we're looking to add to the network. And we're able to say, okay, well, we're going to, place orders for this in January because we know we're going to need it in October and it's going to be delivered in August. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with that much lead time uh, out in front mm-hmm. of you, which which is better than some of the lead times I've heard from some other folks, but with that much lead time out in front of you, have you ended up having to change vendors or, or add to the vendors that you're willing to buy equipment from? Or are you guys so you know, stuck in on a particular vendor or operating system perhaps because of what your operating model is that uh, you've just got to stay in touch with that one or two vendors that you're doing business with? Well, we definitely have our, our architecture, right? We have our platforms that the network is built on the products and services that we offer are tested on and configured on. And, and from a um, operational stability standpoint, we definitely want to maintain those um, that small group of uh, SKUs and devices from our vendors. We had, we do have multiple vendors. It's not a, a, we're not a single vendor network. So we're not relying on um, a single vendor that way, but we do have our small um, list of, of SKUs that we pick from and we work with our vendors on those to do that. It sometimes it's necessarily, Oh, maybe we were planning on this device, but we can't get it in time. So we're going to have to go here and, what does that do to our business case? Mm-hmm. But overall, um, I think we've been, we've made a, a really good transition from that just in time 
to mm-hmm. this um, to the more forecasted model. And we're not done yet. This is it's not a fait accompli, and we're we're moving on. It's a work in progress constantly. Every month, every quarter, we're looking at what are the lead times. Yeah. What what are we looking at? You know, are we getting um, recommits from our vendors on? Oh, we thought it was going to be October. It's now going to be December. Um, and what impact does that have? And and communicating. How hard, how hard was it to restructure the, your internal processes around that? Because I imagine mm-hmm. at the sort of scale that you're working at, those procedures of that bureaucracy is fairly entrenched. Has it been a difficult challenge to change it around? Uh, I wouldn't say difficult, no, because. Mm-hmm. It we're not a a large, you know, multi um, organizational company. We're we're a relatively small company, mm-hmm. so operating at a very large scale. So when we needed to change to that, it wasn't that we needed to go through multi layers of process documentation and business reengineering and things like that. It was a okay. This is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, planning team. We're talking to. Talking to the sales and the business development, we're talking to the deployment team. We're talking to vendor management. Okay, this is this is what we need to do, and it, and it takes time to get used to that, right? Because when you're used to ju- uh, just in time, and you you got to kind of shift your mindset, it takes some time to do that. But it wasn't really hard for Aurelian to kind of steer steer the ship in a different direction. Well, I guess um, I guess if I think about it, you know, you're that focus on just one thing. You haven't got dozens of business units doing all different things. And so if you have to change a part of the business, it doesn't have all of these knock-on effects. It's just this focused business is probably much easier to change. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty fair. It, it's, mm. we don't, like I said, we, we're not having all of these different products and services that we now have to get sign off on. It's, it's as a, as a very flexible, very responsive uh, organization, we're able to make the changes we need to continue to offer uh, the, the core services that we focus on and uh, be able to deliver on them. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. We're delivering bandwidth. So we're delivering connectivity. So the, providing that connectivity is at the heart of what we do. So whether no matter what part of the organization uh, you are in when you're at Aurelian, mm. everyone understands that that's, you know, we're keeping the world connected. We're keeping our clients connected to one another and within their own organizations. Mm-hmm. So um, maintaining that focus is is something that's comes pretty naturally to us, especially, uh, you know, we have a really good culture around being open-minded and, and uh, flexible and adaptable. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Greg, you mentioned that you were expanding into a variety of areas that you may not have customer demand in that area yet. So how do you decide where to go, where to expand to? So we have a multi, I'll say multidisciplinary. We have um, folks from all sorts, all different parts of the business that work together to, to make those decisions. So we have a network development team that will look at the markets that we want to go in. They're getting feedback from our customers. They're getting feedback from our sales teams about what they're hearing. We're looking at the growth of the industry. So when we're looking at growing into markets such as uh, Osaka, Japan, or Columbus, Ohio, you know, we're, we're going in. We're not just saying, hey, that's a 
dot on a map where we don't have on our network on our website let's get a dot there mm. we're saying this this is where we need to grow to continue to expand the business and we have these opportunities and we we look at it and we know because we do have that like i mentioned earlier the mm. um the focused uh technology that we can go in with and we we can scale that technology from a one ru device that offers the services we need to a big third of a rack, you know, multi-slot shelf that can, that can, we can scale into, we can offer the business that opportunity to, to be flexible and not just say, Hey, we've got this one solution. It's really heavy, comes with a lot of overhead, but it's because we can offer every service under the planet now, you know, and, and the business says, well, we can't do that. But we can no, see, you, you're I, saying you can you can land and expand effectively. You can pick a spot. Yes. This looks good. We have market opportunity here, and we're going to start with a half rack of whatever, and you, that gives you a certain amount of services that you can offer. And then as demand ramps up, and there's more there, and you want to offer expand the service offering, you can just add to that. You don't have to rip everything out and replace it with the new bigger thing that does everything. You can just kind of build on it as you go. So it's not a it's not a massive capital investment every time you want to put another dot on the map, so to speak. Right. And by minimizing, or I won't say minimizing, I'll say by being flexible with your capital investment and having options at different tiers, it really makes it very easy for the business to make decisions about where to grow and takes the the network complexity angle out of it and makes it a very simple decision. This is the network we want to put in this location. This is the business we need to have available to us in this location. And we go from there. And we've got partners that we work with, you know, we with certain data centers or colo operators where we'll say we're we're in these locations and they're adding a location. Well, do we need to be in that location? You know, looking at those opportunities is a is a core part of our of our growth strategy. Well, then is uh, are data centers or internet exchanges a key part of that then? Because I, I asked that in the context of Connectivity to cloud, you said that's another one of the major services you offer, direct connectivity into the a variety of clouds. So I would look and say, all right, if there's an IXP that's uh, standing up a new node, maybe I want to get in there. If there's, uh, you know, Equinix is building out a new data somewhere, uh, data center somewhere, maybe I want to be in there. Yeah, that's that's definitely a large part of it because when we want to connect services and we want to connect clients, we want to be able to be in locations where the customer wants to be and the client wants to be, but we also need to be in those locations where they're trying to get to. So like you said, you know, an IXP opens up a new, a new site in Las Vegas, San Diego, uh, Milan, Osaka. And we say, this is, this is the location we need to be in because these clouds are going to be located there or these services are going to be available there or these clients are going to be available, these networks they want to connect to are going to be available there. So we're looking at it not just from a selling bandwidth, selling retail, you know, internet access or something like that, but we're looking at it top, um, top to bottom with our, with our product stack and seeing what we can offer and what we can deliver at these locations. What's the U.S. footprint look like for Aurelian? Because I, I think of Telia, where you came from, as uh, mm-hmm. not primarily a U.S. there, but not primarily U.S. So has Aurelian got more presence or more focused on the U.S. market? We do. We um, 
So we've been operating in the U.S. We've as a U.S. operator for about 20 years now, 20, 30, 30 years now. Sorry, it's further into the 2020s than I realized. Um, so, <laughs> so we've been in the U.S. for a long time, but we've grown organically. Uh, we haven't had a major purchase where we we purchase a network. We we make those business decisions to grow. So we have a very good footprint coast to coast. Uh, we're in a lot of the second and third tier markets. Uh, you know that uh, from what you would call from a data center or network operator perspective. So sure, we're in New York and Atlanta and Dallas and L.A., Chicago, et cetera. But we have a network presence in San Diego, in Columbus, Ohio, in Omaha and Las Vegas. So we have a lot of coverage and, you know, we can definitely continue to expand into other markets as we need to, as our business has the opportunity to. So we're not just the European carrier that has reached into the U.S. We are a, a truly a global carrier with, with a presence all around the world. Now, the U.S. market sucks with last mile stuff. It's complicated. It's a mess. How do you mm -hmm. do? Do you have strategic partners for last mile? We do. We do have partners with, that we work with. We do have vendors. I'll say that we use to connect for the last mile. But a lot of times, the locations we're building into, our clients are already in. So if we're going into a DRT building in a certain market or or Equinix or, or one of the myriad data center operators that we're co-located with or, you know, and it's not just the U.S. markets, Canada and Mexico, too, from a North mm -hmm. America standpoint. So we have reached down into Mexico City and into the Yucatan Peninsula. So we look at those locations and we're looking at the customers we want to reach in those locations. So a lot of times we're not relying on those last mile providers to connect us to our clients. Our clients are already in there. So when we bring our network into that building, they're usually just a fiber jumper away or, or cross connect away yeah, within yeah. that data center. Yeah. Colo makes that, makes that world so much easier for sure. Yeah. It, mm -hmm. it, 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 it really does. So and it, it makes it a lot more um, from a customer experience standpoint, it makes it a lot more consistent because now we're not, we're not reliant on, what vendor do we have in in Charlotte, North Carolina? What vendor do we have in Philadelphia? What vendor do we have in Milan? And what vendor do we have in Tokyo to deliver your service? And we're we have different in a different experience based upon um, the different vendors and the different connectivity in those markets. If you're in the data center, our networks there, our service delivery experience is a lot more consistent, and it becomes less about where you are in the world and more about what services do you want and you know uh in each of those markets hmm. that's that's a really complicated thing i mean increasingly customers are moving their data centers into hosted facilities and a big part of that is you can put a lot of bandwidth there because you know you've got a much larger market and that also means you can turn bandwidth on and off that flexibility is absolutely key to a lot of customer strategies i you know, I need to move something between two data centers. I want to up the bandwidth from 400 gigs to two gig to, you know, 800 gigs for a week. You can do that in a data center, uh, in a hosting facility that it's very difficult to do on-prem. Yeah, where that bandwidth's already available, where that network's already available in that data center, and you come to us and you you want to make changes to the network, it's it's a fairly seamless experience when you when you want to do it. It's all about 
a service delivery experience at that point. It's not, oh, you have to wait for us to build the network. And oh, by the way, as we talked about the lead times, we're not going to get the equipment for 10 months. We're not going to get the equipment for a year. Mm. So, you know, once that network's there, you know, you can talk to Aurelian and find out what's available there and what type of services we have immediately available. So Greg, as we, we've talked about expansion and just moving into different geographical regions, what's the bandwidth need look like? I don't know, like, I don't know if you're carrying all the Netflix traffic in the world or not, but, uh, you know, are you, are you pushing the ethernet boundaries? You're pushing the optical boundaries with, uh, higher speeds across the backbone, et cetera. We are, um, our standard network evolves over time, right? So if you go back, you know, at one point it was, oh, we have a 10 gig backbone. We have N by 10 gig backbone. Hmm. moves into 100 gig and and right now we're moving into the 400 gig realm so we're and we're not just looking at doing this in the backbone we we have 400 gig in the backbone already and we're doing that across uh, multiple technologies uh, so we can interconnect with dark fiber where we've got buildings in the metro we've got a huge presence of 70,000 kilometers of optical fiber in our network some of that's lit and some of that's um dark fiber capability that we have to interconnect our buildings. That, that's just to be clear here, that's your fiber or that you have access to? It's a combination of both. It's mm-hmm. we, a large, a large part of it is our fiber that we have in the ground and we manage, including some uh, subsea systems that we have in the Nordic region, as well as uh, fiber that we have access to through leases or uh, yeah. commercial arrangements. The usual way. Yeah, <laughs> and you and yeah. you, you you know you get the fiber and then you put your own DWDM on top of that to get the IP network that you need. Correct. So we come in and, and that that fiber we maximize that fiber as much as possible through, you know, our wavelengths, our IP networks, you know, Ethernet networks, all all over that fiber. So and you know so it's so we go into these new data centers and oftentimes the the cheapest way to light them is dark fiber with running the four hundred gig directly over that dark fiber between the buildings. So that's really pushing the kind of the upper limits of where that, you know, we've moved from gigabit ethernet into the terabit ethernet realm mm. of 200 gig, 400 gig and higher. So we're, it, we're really pushing that upper limit of ethernet for our backbone, you know, and not just over dark fiber, we're doing it over DWDM. We're looking at integrating, you know, for a very long time, you know, most of the history of, of this industry, IP and, and the transmission equipment have been separate domains, mm. uh, separate organizations, separate skill sets, separate knowledge bases, separate technologies, vendors, et cetera. Um, <laughs> As an IP guy, it's because optical and DWDM is dark wizardry. Those are different things, but you, you, it sounds like you're about to tell me they're not so different these days. They're, they're coming together, shall we say. So it, it's, we're pulling back the veil of, of that dark wizardry and realizing <laughs> that the the technologies are becoming more and more compatible. It's been a almost a parallel evolution where mm-hmm. the things that the transmission and optical world needed to become more flexible and to grow brought it closer to the packet realm. And in the packet realm, the things that were needed to grow brought it closer to the optical wave realm. And now now those technologies are starting to converge and and we're starting to get, you know, true IP over DWDM where you can take that IP port and instead of taking that IP port, dropping it out as a, as a Ethernet drop port, taking a fiber, running over into a transponder, which then muxes it up, 
into the the higher level of the optical before putting it into the photonic subsystem and, and, and transmitting across the fiber, you can now take that IP port, put it directly into that photonic subsystem, and you can tune those IP ports based upon the optical characteristics of that photonic subsystem. And mm-hmm. you've cut out an awful lot of equipment <laughs> and complexity hmm. in the it's network. It's amazing how much efficiency you get by scaling up to 400 gigs. You have the same optical fiber is now suddenly four times faster just for the bearer, but you could have multiple channels running 400 gigs. So you go from a, a fire, you know, a 24 core fiber at 100 gig to a 24 core fiber at 400 gigs. That's a lot of bandwidth difference. And then moving to I just straight up IP over DWDM, 40% of equipment disappears, 50%, something like that. Yeah, probably in that 30 to 40% range. But when you factor in, you know, it, 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 the metric just depends on whether you're talking about the physical equipment or the cost of the equipment, right? Because right. a lot of the cost of your equipment is in those drop ports, in those transponders. And yeah. you're by removing a lot of that and go and directly connecting the networks, you are cutting away a lot of, and it's the complexity, it's the power. Mm. You no longer need to power all of that equipment. You no longer need to mm. um, scale all of that equipment and, and have the optical network and the packet network scale at the same rate. You can you know, you're bringing those two networks together and you're also bringing um, the operations together. The team that runs it is not like the DWDM team and the IP team who don't get on or don't have the same, you know, they don't need, they live in silos and the abolition of the silos would have advantages as well. I think. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of benefit for that. It's a combination, you know, internally, you know, just from a really standpoint, you know, you're increasing the skill sets of the people that work in your organization and that's, improving your organization the more the more skills your team have the less handoffs the less bumping around things have to do in order to either deliver the service up front or support the service over its lifetime so you're improving that and that translates into a better experience for our, our customers you know it goes they, back to what you were saying before about being focused on just a narrow business focus on bandwidth and reaching customers means you've also got less distractions and less things to go wrong potentially. Yes. Less distractions is, is, is the big thing is less yeah. reasons to move. I mean, we've all seen it where the IP team says, Oh, it's an optical problem. The optical team says, Oh, it's working fine. It must be an IP problem. Yeah. And, well, I was thinking you know, more like, you know, the telecoms team says we need the network to be, have sub 50 millisecond, Recovery times. And over here is the SD-WAN business unit saying, well, we need your technology to support this. And you, you know, and all of a sudden your backbone has a whole bunch of requirements, which are actually not core or, or ancillary, but you know, you get distracted and, and your network grows and your costs grow and the complete, you know, everything just gets one on top of the other. So yeah. And it starts to compound, right? When mm-hmm. when you have that complexity. So when, when you're able to remove that complexity and you're able to make it more of an integrated network it's you have that benefit from an organization standpoint where now everybody's just working on the network they're not working on the transmission network they're not working on the ip network they're not working on the overlay they're they're working on the network and Mm. it's it's a from a network deployment standpoint it requires sometimes a different way of of approaching things yeah. Um, and it definitely requires a, it's a technical skill set development that we uh, are doing. Oh, I don't know. I remember yeah. doing frame relay and ISDN. DWDM is not harder than that. 
<laughs> Honestly, right? It's not like building a Fratum backbone, you know, where you're doing frame relay and ATM and you're doing that. DWDM's not particularly easy, but it's not as hard as that rubbish was, honestly, seriously. No, but I, I think it was, um, we mentioned it earlier. It's that yeah. dark magic, right? It's, yeah, it's the IP network is used to, I have light on this end and I have light on this end. Yeah. And how and how those photons are get between those two points, I don't care because it works. And if it doesn't work, I have somebody I can call That's that right. knows yeah. how it works. So mm -hmm. in here it's, oh, I can, now we've got, a you know a deployment team or or a service management team that are more aware and they're able to do sometimes the troubleshooting becomes the easiest part because we understand the network's not as complex so it's a lot easier to understand and yeah, yeah there's um, not an infinite recursion in the layer you know overlays over overlays and you're off not often working with third parties and your network's running over the top of third parties i mentioned fratum there a minute ago about sort of making fun of legacy technology. Do you have a lot of legacy in your network? So, well, we certainly don't have frame relay or ATM. <laughs> you know, I don't oh, have an, an X25 pad. You don't have a around. living museum? Everybody should have so, one of those. <laughs> no, I've, I've, uh, yes, I, I've been there. I've done that. I've done the living museums where the data center <laughs> has everything from E1 stat mocks up to, yeah. you know, like you said, an ISDN or frame relay. But no, we don't, you know, one of the, one of the benefits that we have with our standalone company becoming a standalone company is we can take a look at the operations and the efficiency of the network and really look at, you know, what's legacy, what's the current generation, what's, what, what is it that's giving us the scalability that mm. we need in order to operate and focus on obviously the latter, the current, the newer platforms. Mm. And really start so you, to focus see what you're on, telling me is I, if I go poking around your backbone, I won't find any 6509s or 72, 7000 series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, you won't find a 7206 in a closet somewhere that's, you know, br bridging a, you know, a, a catalyst into, into some sort of, you know, uh, OC3. Yeah. So, yeah. no, <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't think that'll be there. No, we really focus on you know, that, that legacy technology, and I'm not talking legacy of, you know, 1999, you know, like we're, like we're saying with the catalyst 6,500 era, when I say legacy, I'm talking about legacy is anything that came before our current scale needs. Mm -hmm. So we might be talking about platforms that five years ago, eight years ago were considered uh, state of the art and, mm -hmm. you know, might have, you know, five terabits uh, in, in a third of a rack. And that was, whew, wow. You know, and that's got multiple hundred gigs per slot. And, you know, this is, this is really what we need, but that's not what we need anymore. And that, that space and power efficiency, when you look at the power per, per bit, or you look at the overall consumption of, of your resources on that platform and what you're getting out of it compared to, you know, something that maybe, oh, this is based on the newest um, Broadcom chipset and it's doing, you know, 2,400 gigs per slot or I'm, I'm making it up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, that may be the uh, the wishful thinking in me. But, yeah. you know, and you're looking at it compared to that and you're saying, well, they're consuming the same power or worse. Let the yeah. older kit, the legacy kit is consuming more power. 
Well, I think it's interesting that power must now become a significant design factor for you. We've seen the price of power rise and also scarcity of power. So is that something that's impacting your designs as well? Absolutely. It it Mm. really is. And and that's one of the reasons why that efficiency of, of the legacy network is so important to us because power is, it's not just something that you just assume is there. Um, mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, it's a scarcity thing. You know, data center operators do do their level best to get the power into their data centers, but there's only so much commercial power they can they can get into these buildings. And yeah, when right. you get when you're starting to load them up, and um, I think we can all remember a time where a kilowatt for a rack was that was a lot of power, and now we're talking twenty times that per rack. Yeah. Yeah, anything up to 35 kilowatts. Challenge is now that a lot of data centers just don't have enough power to give everybody 20 to 35 kilowatts per rack. They can only give you five because that's all the allocation they've got contracted with the supplier. So power really makes a big difference. And I just, I'm sort of pleased to hear that in one sense, the power issue, the scarcity and the price, but scarcity primarily means that we're getting modernized networks. You're rotating the equipment much more rapidly simply because I need more bandwidth, but I also need to be power efficient. Yeah, and, and that is driving a lot of it, that cost efficiency, mm. the, the needs to do it. And it, it helps us, you know, obviously it helps us because of the, mm. the power efficiency, sustainability of that power. You know, the less power we're consuming, the more we can buy from sustainable sources. Mm. But it also helps us from, like you mentioned, you know, we're rotating that equipment out. So we're now able to offer the scale and the services on platforms that are designed for this and we're not retrofitting platforms for services Mm -hmm. that you know yeah it works but we needed to do a lot of you know protocol and config jujitsu in order to get this working um and every time hello technical debt (laughs) (laughs) hello 4 a.m in the morning you know (laughs) Yeah, yeah or or Oh, oh, hey! This was put in by that guy who left last year, and we're gonna we're gonna need to reverse engineer what he did. Um, yeah, we'll get back yeah. to you next week once we've yeah. sort of done, yeah, done yeah, to I, it. yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't always get very uh, comfortable when somebody comes on and says, "Well, this person did this to get this yeah. working." Well, okay, have we documented it as a standard? Is it something we can support? Because if if we have to do that, then maybe that's not the platform mm-hmm. we need. We need to start looking at replacing that. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about managing a global team. Now, one of the things that we talked about here is that Aurelian is focused on a fairly, is focused on a specific business. And the funding, the way the business model works is that the infrastructure ownership means they're looking for a consistent flat return. They're not expecting massive growth in in profits, right? Does that change the way that you manage your team? And does that um, change the culture of your organization somehow? Well, I think it'll, I think the ownership and the focus aligned with our culture very well. And in, because like I mentioned, and, you know, we came from Telia uh, based in you know, heavy, heavy Nordic presence, but we were already a global organization. And so when the new owners took over and they said, we want you to do that expansion, we want you to, we want to have that growth. And we know that growth is going to be beyond the, the historic markets um, that we, our parent company may have served prior to that. So we know it's going to be into the U.S. It's mm-hmm. more, and, and not just in, we were in the U.S., but deeper into the U.S. 
connecting more markets, connecting more locations within the markets, um, expanding into you know expanding our Asia footprint larger than it has been. You know, more not just Singapore, Hong Kong, Tokyo, right? It, you know, looking at the the various data centers. So it's a it's a it was a way for us to um, take advantage of the strengths we already have. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a you know more and more of our of our team is a global team now. It's not yeah. oh we're ba- you know seventy percent of the organization is is in one country or one region. It's, I imagine I imagine that the way we communicate now, the remote working hybrid work revolution, and you know the use of chat tools like Slack and Teams has also changed the way a company like Aurelian can work too. In the old days, just communication globally was hard, whereas now it's a lot easier. And if you've got a small focused organization, you can take advantage of that. Is that what's happening? It it really has. Um, mm. You know, with the transition to more remote work too, you know, when you have a team of 10 people and they're already in six different countries, the transition to remote work isn't nearly as disruptive as if all 10 of those people were sitting, you know, within the same hundred yeah. square foot section of the office. Yeah. So, true. and being able, so that transition to remote work, and like you said, there's more collaborative tools, you know, everything doesn't have to be phone calls and emails anymore. We well, can, never needed to be, but we just didn't have an alternative. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Come on. Who, who didn't like waking up in the morning, logging yeah. on to your email and seeing, you know, the other yeah. 16 time zones worth of emails coming into your email <laughs> inbox at eight, at eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, that, I, I used to live for that. I used yes. to live for it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's, there's, there's nothing that makes you say, welcome to, welcome to the morning, yeah. like already being behind on your, your email and just about clearing to, it out by the end of the day. In the old days, I used to get voicemails and that wasn't, they would literally record them locally and then forward them to my voice box. And then I'd have to sit there and play them all back. And it would take me a half an hour in the morning sometimes to get through. Just check out, going through voicemails. Yeah. Yeah. Email was, <laughs> was the greatest thing ever. But that's, that's why you had your coffee and your donut. Right. <laughs> so you were having that while you were playing all of your voicemails. That was horrible. Well, Greg, unfortunately, we are running out of time for today's show. Thanks so much for you to come on here and talk about Aurelian's network. And uh, as head of IP networks, you are doing a job that I don't want to be having, but it's interesting to hear how Aurelian's building a different sort of product for the people. Um, If people want to find out more about Aurelian, it is Aurelian.com. That is A-R-E-L-I-O-N.com. You can find them on Twitter as Aurelian Company. And they've also got their website has uh, got quite a lot of information. I actually find the website refreshingly usable would be the best way I could describe it. Um, as always, you've been listening to the Packet Pushers. Thanks so much to Aurelian for sponsoring today's show. Without them, we wouldn't be here bringing you this content. There are many more fine technical podcasts and our community website at packetpushers.net. Please follow us on the social medias at Packet Pushers. Just search for us and you'll find us. And as always, remember that lastly and never, ever least, too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>